It's a Bumblecast Mini, sponsored by Hearts 13. Sonic Underground in Frontiers. Imagine if Sonic Frontiers took place in the reality of Sonic Underground. In meta context, kind of like a four-episode special event. Instead of Tails and Amy that gets stuck in cyberspace, it's Sonya and Manic. Knuckles is still there, but his personality is more in line with the Underground series. Also, the Chaos Emeralds may or may not be in the Frontier special, so the triplets use the musical magic of their medallions to fight the titans and they sing the same songs as the boss themes for all the titans undefeatable break through it all find your flame and i'm here in meta context all sung by the same bands that sang in the game just lip synced to the characters of the sonic underground band how do the titan battles play out also what do you think sonia and manic's hedgehog memory tokens would look like oh well the lazy thing would be just have color-coded musical notes that you pick up yeah but I I can't remember now. Did their medallions each have individual designs? Yeah, I think so. Or were they all? I figured okay, they're. I figured they're. Yeah, I figured their thing. Their memory tokens would just look like their medallions, right? Except for and if knuckles, that, knuck, would, wouldn't then, what would knuckles have? Like, well, if they don't do the medallions, then do like something indicative of the instruments. So, like a key, a small keytar for Sonya, and like crossed drumsticks for Manic. Yeah. And the same thing for Knuckles, medals. <laughs> um, and for Knuckles, I don't know, maybe just a bag because he's such a sad sack in that show. <laughs> Until maybe Knuckles gets a rock. Versions of Chomps. <laughs> Knuckles gets a rock. <laughs> not like a not like a shiny emerald rock, just a regular rock. <laughs> I got a rock. Yeah, pretty much. Uh. As for the Titan battles, uh, maybe like a Guitar Hero thing with Sonic leaping and running while he's tried to play and sing at the same time. Turn them into rhythm games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're not distracted by the incredibly exciting cinematic in the background, you you just play the rhythm game and then all the sound waves make the Titan collapse, go dormant explode from the sheer power of rock and roll? I don't know. <laughs> That's what already happens in the game. <laughs> Exploding through the sheer power of rock and roll. I mean, have you heard the soundtrack? It's kind of what it's I like. not wrong. That's kind of what it's like. <laughs> a follow-up to the What If about an alternate universe with a Sonic Set AM slash Archie movie made in an alternative 1990s. At the end of the film, after the main antagonist is beaten and Sonic and Sally ride into the sunset with the Freedom Fighters, a song plays as the scene transitions into the credits. Which of these songs do you see playing at the end of a sad AM Sonic 90s film? Patty LaBelle's When You've Been Blessed Feels Like Heaven or Shanice's You Were the One? Also, Ian and Kyle, what are your guesses for the main slash major antagonist of this hypothetical movie? It could be any other villain from Set AM, early Archie Sonic, or original character. Dr. Robotnik and or Snively, and minor slash overarching antagonist, but not the main ones of this film. Now, you're cheating. These are two different questions. These are two wholly different questions. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You, Yeah. So sneaky, Hearts 13. This is... Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. I mean, they're... I mean, they're related to the 
to one movie, but ooh, sneaky. Uh, for the ending theme, honestly, either one is just as atonal to the series as the other. I, <laughs> you, you pick, you can pick, and I will be fine with either because I'm not fine with either. Uh, there's a hater over here. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> I, I, I need a faster tempo, please. Uh, <laughs> as for antagonist, now, like the other franchise movies, your Transformers, your G.I. Joe and such, those were late 80s, right? Yeah. Or were those early 90s? Well, I mean, Transformers was like 85, but they always come up with some new villain to sell a toy of, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, would it be after the trend where they basically use the movie to launch the new toy line? No, I don't think so. Or is it the 90s? So it's the incredibly off-brand, grim, dark version. I don't know if you ever saw it, but there was a, there were plans for a Captain Planet movie. Yeah, that were staggeringly off model and out of tone with the rest of the show, like overly detailed and ridiculously dark and grungy and threatening and just wow. Really glad that died on the vine. So. I kind of wonder if the sad AM slash Archie 90s movie of hypothetical existence would go that route where like you technically have Sonic and Sally and the Freedom Fighters in there somewhere, but they're like barely characterized correctly and they're all over designed in new directions that don't really represent who they were. And there's a new villain in town who is boring, but also extremely threatening for no particular reason. And everyone walks away from it going, what was this? And then 20 years later, you have people going, no, it was a genius new direction for the series. <laughs> it should have been the new angle for the franchise. Yes, that is true of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Wait, no, wait. And that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> and I don't mean the new movie. I mean the one from, you know, the 90s. <laughs> yeah. The death of Dr. Eggman and the fate of the Eggman Empire. Imagine an alternative reality of the post-Super Genesis wave Archie Sonic universe, which also incorporated events and elements of the post-Forces slash Frontiers game slash IDW universe. The mad genius Dr. Ivo Eggman Robotnik has been killed, possibly by Mimic or one of the Egg Bosses. The Empire is in chaos. Who inherits the Eggman's throne? Does Sage take off where her father left off, or do the other egg bosses fight for the crowd? Do some of the egg bosses split the Empire's territories into different nations? Which egg boss do you think would be most likely to become the next Eggman? And how do Sonic and the Freedom Fighters slash Restoration handle the fallout of the Empire's anarchy? I would imagine that the Empire itself would just splinter into chaos. Most of the egg bosses would want to just lay claim to their territory and be done with it. And you would have a handful that tried to take the entire empire and the throne for themselves. I'm thinking Thunderbolt to maintain the legacy. Uh, Battle Lord would probably want to control everything. And then you have Sage, who's trying to continue her father's legacy. And, you know, everyone should be working for her directly. Uh Given her access to the Eggnet, she might just be able to force everyone to get along, quite literally. Mm -hmm. 
if Eggman literally had the kill signal, Sage would be the kill signal. So <laughs> in that regard, I guess there would be a moment of strife, a bit of a power play until Sage realizes that she's got the win button. She is hard coded to be said win button. And so she would take control. Uh, there'd be just enough time for the heroes to realize, oh, we have an opportunity. Let's capitalize on this. Sally specifically driving that. And then, I don't know, you might have some stories of Sonic, possibly with a couple of the friends running around to specific regions to help them make headway mm -hmm. while they have a chance. Maybe some territories would fall in the meanwhile. Give some people an out. I don't know, there's a lot of mileage to be had there. Lots of threads to follow. <laughs> a follow-up to the What If Tangle Joined the Freedom Fighters question. The restoration figure out how to return Mohawk Sonic back to his world. However, during the process, Whisper and Wisps and Lanolin are sucked into the portal with him into the Sat AM universe. One of the Freedom Fighters' uh, personal opinions on Whisper and her Wisps and Lanolin both meeting them and getting to know them over time, and how much trouble is Sadam Robotnik in now that all three Diamond Cutters have teamed up with the Freedom Fighters and Sonic returning, of course. Uh, let's see. We're assuming Tangle is there. I think so. Yeah, amongst the group. Okay. Yeah, it's been a long time since that last mini. Uh, well, with Tangle as mediator, things are going to go much more smoothly than they would be had Whisper and or Landland been you know, thrown in their cold turkey. Uh, Tangle will do the introductions. She'll vouch for her friends. She'll be the one to mediate and get everyone in position. You know, guys, this is great here. Look at all the tree houses. They fight Robotnik and it's great. Come on, let's do this thing. <laughs> Whisper would be unsettled by the change of realities. You know, everything that she's taken for granted is now up in the air. She has no idea of what the lay of the land is, what the, strength of the opposition is what the tactical advantages of any location is. There's a lot of unknowns, but tangle is there to assure her that these people are fighting the good fight and they are committed to actually fighting and they're good people. So she's able to adjust a little better than if she were on her own. Landon Lynn is just happy that they're organized. <laughs> this isn't just a welfare mission. This is actual guerrilla warfare. They're proactively trying to unseat the bad guy. Finally, somebody who gets it. And, you know, she does not understand how Sally has the patience for Sonic or even tolerating him, but they've made such headway. They've endured for so long against such impossible odds. She will quite happily march behind Sally and, you know, help out. And Sally's just happy there's somebody else to talk tactics with. <laughs> Lanolin to Sally. Teach me your ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wubba -dub, dub dub. Rick and Morty portal into the realities of Adventures of and Sat AM and Underground because Morty was curious about the conclusions of those series. He looked up those shows on the internet from videos on YouTube and articles on Wikipedia and fandom wikis and is curious about it. How interesting or badly do these trips go as they raise hell every night in the 90s Sonic worlds? You know, this premise isn't that far out there. Probably not. Sega wouldn't go like, for it, but... <laughs> no, no, but the whole idea of, you know, Morty doing a deep dive on a Sonic wiki and getting interested in it and bugging Rick to take him into these possible universes and things going badly, that... 
I am unsettled at how well that works as a premise. <laughs> well, but we if we're going to, if we're going with the uh, classic Rick and Morty formula, you know, they beam into each incarnation of the show and Morty is charmed and excited to experience it firsthand and highlights the good aspect of each show, the, the humor of adventures of the narrative driven nature of uh, sad AM the versatility of Julio White's voice acting in Underground and Rick is there to do all the bad faith tear down commentary on each one. You know, all the stuff that we in the fandom have grown tired of because we've heard these arguments for the past 30 years. And Rick is there just to be tiresome and pedantic. So, you know, it fits. <clears throat> and, you know, go along and Morty's excited. Rick reigns on his parade. Morty's childlike wonder and enthusiasm is slowly whittled down by the pessimistic view. And eventually he's just like, all right, fine, let's just go home back to our normal reality because I can't enjoy anything nice. And then Rick does a 180 into something possibly redeeming or coddling. Not quite sure how to put cherry on top of this crap Sunday, but you know, your standard Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> the peril. The parallel realities of Adventures of and a Sad AM have started to collide. How do the characters from both universes interact with each other, and what hijinks would happen with a goofy cartoon universe and its comedic animated physics merging with a serious drama-driven universe with semi-realistic physics? Also, meta part of the question, what would some of the counterparts of the classic-slash-modern game characters be like in either universe? We've talked about that before. Yeah... But just to hit on some highlights, I guess, you'd have the two Sonics getting along swimmingly at first. You know, Sad AM Sonic is enough of an egotist to, you know, enjoy his own company. There's no way Sally's going to rain in one, let alone two Sonics. So mm. they go rip shot all over the place. But Adventures of is a little more, I want to say extreme, because that makes it, that, that evokes the wrong mentality. A little more goofy a little more childish in comparison in some regards. I'm sure there's things you could cite where it's the, the other way around, but I just see sad am Sonic kind of going, okay, wait, we actually need to go in with a plan. You know, we can't just pull a cannon from off panel and fire it so that it makes something explode in a goofy color. And then sad am Sonic sitting there going, you need a plan. Oh God, I'm turning into Sally. Ew. No, what? Oh no. <laughs> I guess sad am tales would be jealous that adventures of is arguably more capable does a better job of keeping up with his sonic more often than not is a more active member of their adventures has more agency wants to do more <laughs> yeah snively would see uh adventurous robotnik as a rube a robotnik that is so out of touch with reality he can totally wrap him around his little finger he'll feign fealty and usurp him and take over this dimension no problem except you know Adventures of Robotnik was vicious, goofy as all get out and decidedly need to wear clothing more often, but he, he didn't pull his punches. He's kind he of like quite happily. He's a lot. He has a lot more in common with modern Eggman than I think people realize. Like he will quite happily strap Snively to a rocket and launch him to the moon. Yeah. Any minor transgression. <laughs> Except you know, we're blurring the lines between reality here, so Snively could be in very real danger, what with the whole lack of oxygen thing. 
Yeah. I don't know if the yes seven squad would go to Satyam Robotnik though. Maybe Coconuts would. Like finally, someone who takes this job seriously and doesn't have all these weird gimmick robots. Oh wait, no, he's terrifying. I'm gonna go crawl like back to the other doctor. I'll clean the toilets. It's fine. <laughs> what about Sally meeting the silent pink Sally? There's not enough to work with here. <laughs> Oh, come on. You can do it. really lean into it in Adventures of Pink Sally's a mime. Yeah, that's what I'm... Yeah, exactly. She's mute. She doesn't say anything, but she just does all... A bunch of miming. Sally, girl, why are you a mime in this dimension? I I don't know, Bunny. I really don't. (laughs) Everyone's very confused. All right, Story Lord from Rick and Morty somehow, through multiversal shenanigans, ends up in the foreign alternate reality of the Set AM universe. How would an encounter slash fight between them and one of these two parties, the Freedom Fighters or Dr. Robotnik and Snively, play out? Rips his shirt off. I don't know if that's a reference. Rips his shirt off. It's been a while since I've seen those episodes. I feel like what I remember is that story Lord was kind of a commentary on uh, media illiteracy within the viewership and a general commentary on narrative construction and tropes within serialized media. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I think his biggest consternation would be with the Sadiam ending on a cliffhanger with no resolution, but I don't see him being particularly at odds with any of the characters. Like maybe he would take issue with the kind of done in one goofy plots in season two. You you have a growing narrative. You've had progression. Why are you doing a fan dresser bride of Frankenstein spoof? (laughs) But beyond that, I don't see him having a bone to pick with either side. Mm. (laughs) I mean, maybe robotnik's lack of just like leveling the great forest but he's also a story lord he understands that there are contrivances built into children's media for the sake of serialized storytelling so it would be a, a blemish within the own internal logic that is understandable due to the nature of the programming hence why i don't think there'd be much for him to be you know antagonistic about mm. then again i haven't seen his episodes in a long time so maybe i'm missing something I've still never watched Rick and Morty. Here's another one. Adventure Time and Archie Sonic pre-SGW crossover number two. Mina Mongoose and Marceline the Vampire Queen, a early to mid-seasons. How does a concert performed by both of them play out? What songs would they sing? And what would the chemistry be between the Songoose and the Vampire Queen? How would Mina respond to Marcy's rage-fueled ballad directed at her ex-girlfriend? And how would Marcy respond to Mina's fear-based song about Nicole? Uh, I think Mina in general's music is more poppy, uplifting, positive. Her protest song was a very big change in what she did. And I imagine she kind of course-corrected afterwards. Uh, I'd see Marceline, you know, enjoying that particular song of hers just for the counterculture, you know, defiance of it. I think maybe Mina would dig Marcy's sound, but I don't know if they would be 
like compatible for a long-term tour type of thing. Mm. All right. A multiversal calamity is about to destroy all known realities in Sonic's multiverse, and only the mystical heroes of some of those realities can help stop this supernatural menace. The team is co-led by Jeffrey St. John of the pre-Super Genesis Wave universe and Ebony the Cat from Fleetway and is made up of other mystical individuals such as Tikal the Echidna, Lazar from Sat.A.M., Oracle of Delphius from Underground, Shara from Arabian Nights, Merlina from Arthurian Legend, and Styx the Badger. She's not magic, but she's got theories about otherworldly anomalies, so Ebony brings her on as a consultant. <laughs> Did they all work together, or are they a bit dysfunctional? What is the dynamic between the Mystic Mog and the Skunk Wizard as the team's co-leaders, both bad and good interactions? And what strategy did they come up with to defeat this otherworldly foe? Uh, I'm kind of at a disadvantage here because I don't know Ebony that well. Uh, I know who you're talking about, but I don't really know anything about the character. Uh, it's been a long time since I went through Sonic the Comic stuff. So this is me kind of groping in the dark here dysfunctional i think is a adequate way to describe how things are going because jeffrey is not the best team leader he led one team once not very effectively i wouldn't really call him that so much mystic he's got a little bit of like ixian wind magic but he's not really a sorcerer it's more that he knows a few tricks so yeah he might kind of go off on his own to try to do things his own way and get punked and come crawling back so really if ebony is a leader type she's the one doing the leading uh to call doesn't really have any mysticism she has that one prayer that you know got the master emerald to seal her soul away but she's a pacifist she's not going to bring much to the table here lazar <laughs> what did lazar even he seemed to just be whatever the plot needed to accomplish wizard. So that's good for throwing lightning at the mass of darkness with a spooky face in it, I guess, for whatever this is. <laughs> it's attacking the darkness. The Oracle. See, did the Oracle do anything other than prophesize? I have no what idea. What is he going to do? Is he going to stand there going, I saw this coming. <laughs> I told you this was going to come. And it's just as bad as I forewarned. Thank you. Thank you. Just sit over there with the call. Hush. Uh, Shara and Merlina, though. Shara's got, like, low-level wi uh, wish-granting ability, but that's still something. She can do supply lines pretty easily. She can she can do a fair bit. And Merlina... Na, 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 na. She can... I mean, she can open portals between whole dimensions. She can pull a Avengers Endgame and bring everybody through the portals. <laughs> like, every... <laughs> pretty much everyone else could just sit down on the bench and take a rest. She's got the multiverse coming into fight side by side here. She's the MVP. <laughs> Would you say that, but Styx is on this team. <laughs> Styx is there for moral support and comedic effect. <laughs> and to be the one who ultimately sends this thing back to where it came from. Because of course she would. Yep. Somehow. I don't know how. One one well-placed boomerang throw right between the eyes. <laughs> the combined might of all the heroes and villains from the multiverse managed to get the cosmic terror into a corporeal form so it can actually experience pain and just whop right between the eyes. It's like, ow! Yep. You're mean! And it goes home. <laughs> 
Uh, leave it to sticks. Hero of the day. And our last question. In the 90s, from what I've researched, the comic series for Sonic was published by Archie Comics in the US and Edgemont slash Fleetway in the UK. What if in an alternative 92 to 93, Sonic comics, either in the US or UK, were written and published by Marvel Comics? Would it have still borrowed inspiration from the American Sonic Bible and or either Adventures of or Sat AM? What reality designation number do you think Marvel would give this hypothetical comic Sonic universe? Uh, I'd be universe 59330. <laughs> Why? Because that's the closest way I can figure out how to write speed in numbers. Oh, okay. <laughs> 59330. Okay, well, all right. Are they allowed letters? In their universe, eh, whatever. It's it's a bad joke anyway. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I would imagine they would follow the American series Bible, but I don't know if they would take cues from the cartoon shows. I don't, I really don't know. Because I don't know, one, how Marvel would treat their licenses in that era. I don't have a lot of knowledge of the books of that time. Uh, I honestly don't know how long it would last. I don't know if Marvel would, you know, coast along on the success of Sonic as a brand and just keep it going perpetually like Archie did, or if they would pull the plug on it because it's not a Marvel property, you know, but it was the 90s. So I don't know. The thinking has changed so much in the market since I I'm going to just have to sum it up with I don't know, because I don't have enough knowledge of the way Marvel operated or how licensed books really worked in the nineties to really confidently say one way or the other. Man, could you imagine if they integrated Sonic and stuff into the Marvel universe? Stanley cameos. <sighs> Sally becomes host of the Phoenix Force. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Terrifying. I just remembered something. Uh oh. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Uh, Mighty Mouse. If we're talking about, you know, licensed superhero cartoon animals, uh, had a brief run in Marvel. And what they did with that was, from what I remember, a lot of DC spoofs, like callbacks to Crisis on Infinite Earth and lampooning other DC properties, and then really abruptly switched gears into incorporating the cartoons elements while also maintaining uh lampooning uh artists and drama within the industry at the time so as much as this pains me a 90s marvel sonic book would probably follow in that direction Mm. start off off the series bible do a grab bag of elements from adventures of and sat am but mostly use it as an insular running in joke machine for comics in general God, that'd be awful. <laughs> we wouldn't be here today if that was what happened. That's for sure. I mean, there was already some of that in the early Archie days. You know, your stuff with, what was it, Wolverkle and Spawn Mower. <laughs> and that. I mean, those are great, though. Don't but hate. They, they, yeah. <laughs> but those were not like the only thing they did. They did other, you know, goofy stuff and they did try to do their own stories. So I just imagine it would have been more like the spawn mower type of story 
throughout the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You know what? For once, we're in the good timeline. <laughs> Come on. Are you telling me you don't like Universe Salamander? Oh, I love the Universe Salamander. <laughs> Do not get me wrong. Dorium. That, that's fun. <laughs> I'm saying they would have some kind of stand-in for Todd McFarlane and making fun of his art style. And that would be like a new Robotnik minion for the issue. <laughs> that would be it for Sonic. And just like... <sighs> what does this? Some real comics in-jokes, huh? <laughs> I I remember I was doing research because I was looking into a potential revival of stuff because, you know, Mighty Mouse is the same demographic generally would have been fun to get in on that property. And like I'm reading this issue going, this is just somebody taking the piss out of Don McFarlane pre-image. That's the entire point of this story. What mm. a waste of time. <laughs> what a waste of the property. It's just a mean spirited spite book. Using somebody else's property. Just, oof. Big oof. Big oof. <laughs> Hefty boy oof. <laughs> well, on that oof, it's time to end, I think. It absolutely is. Thanks to Hearts 13 for sponsoring this Bumblecast Mini. If you want one of your own, head over to patreon.com slash bumblecast, ko-fi.com slash bumblecast, or become a YouTube member. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and we will see you next time on the Bumblecast. Big oof you later. <laughs> <laughs>